on Thursday morning, the front page of the New York Daily News said, God isn't fixing this. No doubt you saw that, whether on Facebook or some kind of news reel. This was in response to a Republican presidential candidate's stating that they were praying for the victims of Wednesday's shootings in California. Surely this was a political statement being made, but it's, it's much bigger than merely political. It's bigger than politics. It was a statement about the heart of our nation when you get down to it. it its expression was truly the revelation of where our day is. It shows us the heart of man. It was a statement simply saying, you can't hope in God. As I heard that, my wife actually shared it with me first thing Thursday morning. She said, hey, have you seen this yet? And I said, no. And she told me what it said. And later that morning, I started looking through Scripture and started thinking, where, where else do we find something so similar to this? And in Psalm 42, we find almost the same words. And I want to share this with you. That's not going to be our text this morning, but just our intro into what I want us to to look at. We're going to be in Romans 15. But I want you to hear a few passages from Psalm 42 and how the psalmist responded to such words in his day. He expressed them in Psalm 42, verse 10, as the headlines of his days. He said, as a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revel me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? You see, temptation is before the psalmist. Temptation to not hope in God, much like in our day. But I want you to hear what the psalmist says to himself. One of the great things we learn from this psalm is that preaching to yourself is vital. It's vital. Some of the best sermons you'll ever hear are the ones you give to yourself. Maybe in the car on the way to work. It may be going to another room to cool down when you feel like you're going to enter into an argument. Some of the best sermons you'll ever hear are the ones you preach to yourself, and that's what we find in Psalm 42. Listen what he says to himself, to his soul that's in anguish over the day he lives in. He says in verse 5, hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And then in verse 11, he says, hope in God. For shall yet, or, or I did this in 9 o'clock, I totally mixed up these words. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. What do we find with the psalmist? He's saying, I am to have an uncommon hope. Because in this world, hope looks totally different. People are hoping in different things, wrong things, for wrong reasons. But the psalmist has an uncommon hope. And that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have an uncommon hope. In our day, in our culture, it expresses its hope in anything but God. The common hope of many is hope in themselves, hope in their health, 
Hope in intelligence, hope in their bank account, hope in money, hope in reputation, hope in jobs, hope in security, hope in relationships. But none of these are sustainable hopes. They can all collapse in a mere moment. But we see in today's text, in Romans 15, where we're going to hang out at, that we can have an uncommon hope, one that is sure, one that's firm, one that's unshakable. And so today, I want us to see what Paul calls for us to have, a hope that is abounding, overflowing, over the banks, unlike anything else. And so look at Romans 15, if you would, with me, in light of the headlines of our day. And I want us to look at verse 7 through 13. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read the whole thing for you, and then we're going to go back and, and look at it. Paul says, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You might be saying, why, why did you throw that verse in? I want us to pause for just a second before we continue, because I was actually going to start with verse 8. But one of the things that God just laid on my heart this morning was this. This is an awesome time of year. People are excited. It's, it's fun. It's festive. But I also want us to know that, that this time of year can also be hard. It can be a hard time of year. And I want to encourage us to do what Paul says here. He says to accept one another, welcome one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. I want to encourage you, church, this season to come around people, to make community important, to make what we do here on Sunday morning important. After the service, talk to people, shake their hands, get to know them, introduce yourself, find out their name. This time of year can be a tough time. I want to be sure that we do what verse 7 says here. Because it says here, this is for the glory of God. That means it's a big work, it's a great work. So accept people. That means during the week as well, I think what that looks, looks like is people who have hope, as we're going to see in just a second, that could simply mean this time of year giving a smile to someone. When you're checking out the grocery store, actually having a conversation with somebody and lifting their day up. But I want us to take serious with each other, accepting one another, welcoming one another, just as he says here, because this time of year can be hard for people. And I'd love that we'd be a source of hope. So look at verse 8 as he continues here. He says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. And then he says, As it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people peoples praise him and then look at verse 12 again Isaiah says there shall come the root of Jesse he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit so a question this morning what can you and I have hope in where can I, our hope lie? What can we hope for? 
You see, there's all kinds of wrong reasons to hope. There's all kinds of wrong things to hope for. But what Paul's talking about here gives us a clear answer of an uncommon hope. A hope like any other. A hope that is sure. A hope that is steadfast. A hope that is real. And what does he do here? I I think he gives us the answer of what we can hope in, where our hope can lie. In verse 12 in chapter 15, he says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him, the root of Jesse, shall the Gentiles hope. Paul's quoting Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10, and he refers to the root of Jesse. And so, what is he talking about? If you go back to what the prophet says in Isaiah... If you follow the Old Testament even back further, you find King David. His dad was who? It was Jesse. And so the root of Jesse is referring to the lineage of King David. David's dad was Jesse and David was the great king eventually of Israel. And the Messiah would come through that lineage. And so it says here, that is where our hope can lie in. The son of David. It's the line that the Messiah of Israel would come through. He would be one like David, only that he would be greater than David. And Jesus used this great mystery to point toward himself. To point toward his own divinity. Because that's who Isaiah was pointing toward as he mentioned this, was to Jesus Himself. If you remember back when we did a study through the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus referred to himself as the son of David. And I love how he did. Listen to these verses. In chapter 22 of Matthew, in verse 42, he asked the Pharisees a question. He says, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees said back to Jesus, he is the son of David. In other words, the Pharisees were saying he is the root of Jesse. And then in verse 43, Jesus said back to the Pharisees, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord? And so what was Jesus doing? Jesus was going back to a psalm. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it states that the Lord, in verse 44, he's going to read it here. Uh, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, David, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Psalm 110, said that God the Father, who is my Lord, said to my Lord, meaning the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus says, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? You see, I love that. Because what Jesus was doing is he was saying, yes, I'm the son of David, but I'm even much more than that. I'm greater than that. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. You remember what the Pharisees did when Jesus said that? They didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. Jesus' point was that he is the Messiah, he's the son of David, he's the root of Jesse, but even more than that, he's the son of God. In fact, in this very letter 
to the Roman church. Look at, look at Romans chapter 1. If you want to go back a few chapters, it's up, also up on the screen. Listen to what Paul does when he begins his writing here. He refers to Jesus as the son of David and also the son of God. Listen to what he says. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, meaning the son of God, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So there it is again. Jesus is God's son, but he is also David's son. And that's what Paul means here when he refers to Jesus as the root of Jesse in chapter 15, verse 13. And he says, it's in the root of Jesse which you and I can place our hope because who is that? It's Jesus. He's the son of God. And he says here, the Gentiles place their hope in him. And so what does that mean for you and I? It means that at every turn in life, we can say, Jesus, you are my hope. Jesus, you are my hope in my marriage. Jesus, you are my hope for my children. Jesus, you are my hope in the ministry that I have. Jesus, you are my hope in life. And even in death, that I might die well. In him, in Jesus, the root of Jesse, is the Gentile's hope, is our hope. And so the question bids to be asked, what are we hoping for? As we talk about hoping in Jesus, if he's our hope, what are we hoping for? Well, if you look through the, the letter of Romans, you, you find some specifics that Paul says we are should be hoping for. And he says in a couple places, so I want us to see just three this morning. He says this, as we're hoping in Christ, what are we hoping for? The first thing in Romans 5, 2, he says, we exult in hope of the glory of God. So Paul says, we're hoping for the glory of God. We, we hope in the glory of God, meaning we hope in all that God is. In everything that God is, that is who he is, that's his glory, his characteristics, his love, his grace, his righteousness, his justice. And everything he is, we are hoping for. So that means we're clinging in hope to God for our salvation. We're clinging in hope to God for our transformation, our sanctification, our becoming like Jesus. That's our hope. And so we're clinging to the hope of the glory of God until Christ in all glory returns. And not only that, in Romans 8 chapter, or excuse me, Romans 8 verse 20 through 21, Paul says we're also hoping for something else. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so what are we hoping for? We're hoping for better days. And according to scripture, those better days are coming. They're called the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we're waiting for. That's the culmination of everything that, that God is doing. And we're confident that he will complete it. And so we're hoping for that. Our hope is that a day will come, the new heavens and new earth. And our hope in that, it is solid and it is sure. 
was very interesting. If you want to maybe jot this down, we won't look too deep into it this morning. But if you think about Isaiah chapter 11, as, as Isaiah is talking about the root of Jesse, if you follow that, that whole context there begins to talk about new heavens and new earth. And so that's what we're hoping for, that in the root of Jesse and Jesus Christ himself, that he will usher in and bring in new heavens and new earth. That's what we're waiting for. Yes, we're waiting for heaven to be with Christ one day, but ultimately, when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise again. And those who are found in him will be with him forever in new heavens and new earth. We're hoping for that. And then in Romans 8, 23, we're not only hoping for new heavens and new earth, but something else. Listen to this. He says, not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Not only we're waiting for new heavens and new earth, but we're waiting for new bodies. You might be in here this morning saying, amen to that. Bring it on. Bring it on. But what I mean is what the Bible refers to as, as glorified bodies. Bodies that have been redeemed. And we're waiting for that. And what that means is that's coming in a day when, when Christ returns. He tells us, yes, the dead in Christ will rise again. The Bible tells us in places like 1 Corinthians 15 that we will have new bodies in that day when Christ returns fitted for the new heavens and new earth. And so those are things that Scripture says we're waiting for, expecting to happen as we hope in Christ. And so I don't know about you, but as you think about those things, and you think about a week like this past week, and the headlines, and whatever else went on, during the week, those things give hope. Those things give hope. You see, we are citizens of heaven, citizens not of this world. Our citizenship has, has not truly come to fruition yet to where we are in the new heavens and new earth, but we're waiting for that. We're waiting for that as citizens of heaven. And so we're hopeful. But Paul says here, this hope is to abound. It, it, Paul's saying this kind of hope is to go over the top, out of the banks kind of hope. And so I want us to look at the verse where he says that. I look at Romans uh, 15, 13. You see, Paul wants your hope this morning to deepen. He wants it to increase. He wants it to grow. But the question is, how does this happen? And so look at verse 13. Now may the hope, or may the God of hope, I love that phrase. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. I love the thought here. May he fill you, meaning you don't have it without him, right? He's got to fill you up with this. So may he fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is this hope we're to abound in? We've seen it already. Hope in Jesus. Hope in the glory of God. Hope in new heavens and new earth. Hope the glorified body, when we see Christ, will be like him. That's what we're hoping for. But here's a question. How do we define that hope? What, what is that hope? What is it? And so let me give you a, a few places to kind of help us with that this morning and kind of put some, some, some flesh to the word, hope. In Hebrews 6, 
verse 11 through 12, and also in verse 19. Listen to what the writer says as he talks about assurance of hope. He says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. The idea of until the end lends us to to, to think of persevering and so that we would have this hope as we persevere. And then look at verse 12. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Then look at verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure, steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. And so this hope that we have in Christ, it's sure, it's steady, it's steadfast. It, it, It speaks of a confidence, not only a confidence, but a moral certainty. And so it, it's not like this. It's not like, um, you know, Green Bay is um, playing. Who they play this week? Come on, guys. Okay, Detroit. All right, I know you guys watched it. Don't have, I don't know. I don't have a TV. All right. All right. So, so here's the deal. So, so it, it, it's like Aaron Rodgers on the last play, and you're sitting there as a, you know, a cheesehead, a Packer fan, and you're sitting there, you know, fingers crossed, please, please let the Hail Mary be catched. And it was, which is, you know, crazy. But that's not this kind of hope. It's not the cross your fingers kind of hope. It's certain. It's moral certainty. It's a confidence. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 1, is. The writer is describing what faith is and what hope is in Hebrews. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so when you think about this, hope is future, right? Now faith isn't just future. It involves future. But faith is even, faith looks back as well. We, we have faith in Christ. We have faith in the cross. We have faith in his resurrection, everything that he did for us, the work of Christ. So faith looks back. But the element of faith that looks forward, according to what the writer says here, is hope. And we're assured of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if we step back from what Hebrews says and the rest of Scripture, what is this hope? And so hope is about expecting. It's a confident expectation. It's a desire for something good in the future. But biblical hope is even more than that. In fact, I would say, go back to, to the definition I just gave, it's, it's this expectation, desire for something good in the future. I mean, that could look like this. That could look like my kids hoping, oh, I hope dad gets, gets home early today. I hope dad gets home early today. Or it could be like we go on a trip and we hope we get there safely. I mean, we're hoping for that to happen. We're expecting for that to happen. We're desiring something good to happen. But even up in the ante a little bit, biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. That's biblical hope. And so it's not just, man, I hope this happens. I'm just, just wishing this. No, no, no. We're confident that it will happen happen. That's the kind of hope that Christ gives us. 
And so there's a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire, it will be done. And Paul wants that kind of hope, according to verse 13, he says that you will abound in hope. He wants that kind of hope to abound in us, overflow, that the God of hope would fill us up to a point where hope abounds, overflows, it pushes out all other emotions of discouragement, of depression, of fear, of anxiety, of grumbling, of bitterness, that hope pushes it all out. And that's what Paul says hope in Christ can do. And so pause for a second. This is real life. This is real life. This is everyday kind of stuff. It's feelings that we deal with. I mean, think about it. Anxiety, grumbling, discouragement, bitterness, being down, depressed. They're real. It's everyday stuff. And to the people of God, God has given us a real work for those real things. And the real work is hoping. The real word, work for you and I, is this expecting, this waiting, this desire that what God says he will do, that it will be done. And that's the real work for the people of God in real life situations. And sometimes this means that we wait in the darkness of loss. It sometimes mean that, means that we wait in the darkness of grief. It sometimes means that we wait in the darkness of a tough situation that we don't know how to get out of. But this kind of hope is what holds a breaking heart together. This kind of hope in a big God, our God of hope, is what frees you and I from big fears. Sure, we get worn down by the challenges, the trials, the problems of life. We get tired of headlines, tired of shootings. We get tired of hearing about terrorism. We get tired of hearing of sickness. We get tired of hearing of death. We think, oh Lord, when will all this stop? But this hope we have in our God of hope is to abound so much so that our strength, that our faith, that our courage does not wear out. Because we can get weary. Our faith can grow tired. Our hope can get sapped and it can get dimmed. It can get tired and worn out. But Paul says, may your hope abound, abound, and not get worn out. So hope in the God of hope that your hope may abound even more. Now, there's two agents to this that are key. I want us to see this before we tarry on. Listen to what it says in verse 13. Look a little closer here. He says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So th this kind of hope has two key elements that are vital. You, you can't have this kind of hope without it. The, the first thing is this. It's birthed by the Holy Spirit. To have this kind of hope, one must be born from above. It must be born again, as we learn in John 3. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And then the Holy Spirit gifts to us, grants to us faith, believing, trusting in Christ. These two elements are crucial. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for us, and that in him alone we can have the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of eternal life. That's where it begins. That's where our hope begins. And so wherever full assurance of hope is, there's full assurance of faith. You cannot have hope without faith. And so it's the work of the Spirit, and it's believing And that's where our hope comes from. But there's something produced. As as this work begins in us, as this work continues in us by the Holy Spirit creating faith in us, there's fruit that's produced. And look what he says in verse 13. With all joy, the God of hope is going to fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. And so through this faith flows joy, flows peace, and flows abounding hope. And so as we cling, as we trust in Christ, he gives us these fruits. And what we see here is some great connection to these words. I think faith awakens joy and peace. And these three fruits work together as hope gives rise to joy and peace. And joy and peace causes even more hope. They work together. And those who hope in God truly have joy and peace. But here's my question. If you and I naturally can't have hope, we we can't. Outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, outside of believing in Christ, you can't have hope. You can't. And so another important element to this, to you and I, even as believers, as we have the Holy Spirit, as we're believing, we have this hope, my question is, how does our hope continue to be encouraged? How do we continue to be encouraged? Because we we go through days, right, where we feel like, man, our hope is gone. We want to throw our hands up and throw in the towel. And so listen to what Paul says. Go up a few verses. Look at verse 4 in chapter 15. Listen to what he says. He says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. But for why? What reason? So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope hope. And so let me encourage you with what Paul says is an encouragement to us. Much like in Romans 10, 17, where he says about faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, so it is with hope. Our hope is encouraged by the scripture. And Paul gives us great proof of that right here in this text. If you go down to verse 9, remember what Paul says, he's quoting Psalm 18, verse 49, it's a king, a Jewish king standing among Gentiles, praising God. And listen to what he says. He says, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. And so what is Paul doing? He's giving us proof that the word of God, the instruction of old, encourages you and I to have hope in God. And that's what he does even in verse 10. He says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. It's the song of Moses when they're commissioning Joshua. And Moses stands up and says, rejoice, O nations, in God. And then in verse 11, 
He quotes Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, the word of God instructs us and encourages us to hope. And then lastly, in verse 12, as we already read in Isaiah eleven ten, Paul quotes that here. There shall come the root of Jesse, from the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. So if we don't want our hope to grow tired, if we don't want our hope to wear out, and we want those other emotions of discouragement, even doubt, to be pushed out, read the word of God. That's what it's for. It's for our hope. To encourage us. So study it, to memorize it, to, to preach it to yourself. Online, we have daily devotionals. Our elders, some of our staff do. And I want to encourage you, if, man, you, you don't know where a place to start, I encourage you, just, just go there. Um, right now, we have Advent readings on there. And, man, I appreciate the guys, their faithfulness uh, to write those. And so you can go online and find them there. Um, if you want some help in saying, hey, where do I start? I think it, an easy place to start is, and look at John chapter 1 and start in John and just start reading a chapter a day. But be in the Word of God. It's crucial. It's crucial. And so what if your, your hope is lacking today? I think Hebrews 11 says, draw near to God. And He will grow you in full assurance of faith. And He will give you confidence. He will give you hope. And so... Stop and be still. Meet with God. Pray and read the word of God so that your hope would not waver, but it would abound out of the banks over the top. That's what God wants. As we root our hope in the faithfulness of God because he is faithful. He is faithful. As we close today, as we come to this time of, of communion, uh, I want to, Read just one verse to, to help encourage our time. In verse 8, Paul says, For I say that Christ, the Messiah, has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. You see, Christ came into this world on a rescue mission. A mission to bring hope to a hopeless and dark world. And how did he do that? By becoming a servant. By taking on human flesh. By becoming a servant. The Bible says he, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And so if you're in here today and you can truly say, you know what? I, I don't have hope in God. I want to encourage you today to turn to Christ. And as we've said today, it begins with faith. It begins with believing in who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, and that he died for you so that your sins could be forgiven and that you could have the free gift of eternal life if you would believe. And so let me encourage you today, begin there. Begin there. And that is where hope begins, as we believe in Christ. So trust in him today. Believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for Christ and for his mission as he came on a rescue mission to give a hopeless world hope.
to give a dark world light, to give a world that was dead life. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, we pray today that if there's anyone in here who has never trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would turn their life to you, Lord, and trust you for who you are and for what you've done so that they would have this hope and that hope would abound.